Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Corey. So good to see everybody tonight. And uh, honestly, I count it a real honor to be here and especially to preach to you tonight and uh, teach a little bit. And uh, I've got to be honest, I'm really, not that this isn't the case all the time, but really believing the Holy Spirit tonight, really relying on the way that He opens eyes so that you see. I've articulated this as best as I can, but I, I just felt like it wasn't enough. And I don't mean that in a self-condemning way. I meant it as, you know, God, I'm offering this <laughs> to you, but I need you to do what only you can do. You know, he's the one that opens the eyes. And when we're talking about, especially some hard truths sometimes, I really want you to take it the right way. <laughs> I really need the Holy Spirit to do that, <laughs> um, which is cool. So I want to share something with you tonight that's been swirling around my heart for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, the Lord's actually been really dealing with me on it. And, um, you know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's kind of a, uh, you know, when, when the Lord, when, I don't know about you, but when you go through the, the discomfort of, uh, you know, the Lord convicting you about something, I feel like you have to too, just because he's done it to me. <laughs> I can share it, right? Problem shared is a problem halved, right? So if I've had to go through it, <laughs> no, nah, not at all. It's, um, it's just something I think that I just want to um, bring, shine light on something tonight that I believe will be really healthy for us. And um, it's, it's going to help us to love God more. Yeah, it's going to help us to see God more, to live for Him more, to serve Him more, um, which is the goal, right, for His glory. So, uh, so Lord, I just thank You for Your Word tonight. I just uh, surrender myself to You. Lord, I, I pray that You would take these words, that, that Your Word would go out. You would open eyes, that, that Your truth from Your Word would be what prevails tonight. Lord, that we would be exhorted that we would be lifted up in you to to serve you better lord and to and to know you more and to love you more and to have a a better revelation of your love for us and the authority you've given to us to fulfill the great commission and to walk out the call and the plan you have lord it is all for your glory and in your name we pray amen amen awesome well those of you that know me you know that i, I love studying the bible and uh, I don't know about you, but the Bible's amazing. Um, the Bible is just, I mean, it's been around for a couple of thousand years, at least the, the newest part, and yet every day more is coming out, right? Like just, I don't know about you, you read stuff you've read a thousand times before, and the Lord just speaks to you again in places you've already read a thousand times, but He just brings it out again. And it just, I love the fact that I'll never get to the end of that. You know, I'll never arrive at a point where I've learned all there is to learn and know all there is to know. He's just so big. And uh, I love that about his word. And I'm particularly passionate, especially in this time, about sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And what I mean by that is the simple truth of the gospel, but everything that follows it in terms of the discipleship process and uh, all the words that's in there, especially in the New Testament. And uh, I'm acutely aware that, you know, we're living in the time described to us by Paul. In 2 Timothy 2, and it'll come up on screen. And because I believe we're living in these times, I take its instructions quite personally because it says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, 
because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, every, ever since the church was born, you know, the church has had to deal with heresy. It's had attacks on biblical truth. I mean, it's no different in our time, right? And, uh, you know, if you study the early church fathers, you'll see that there were various kind of heresies that would come into the church that they had to fight off from time to time. That's why there were councils. That's why there were con- written confessions of faith, really, to affirm and defend the truth as clearly written and stated in the Word of God. And in fact, right even as early as the apostles, uh, thing, things were happening. And, and this is why in some of the biblical books, the, 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 the letters that Paul wrote to the early church, a lot of those letters was responses to such things, uh, responses to things that have been going around. And Because as you well know, you know, sometimes even today, people can disagree over certain interpretations in, of things in the Bible, and that's why there is value and safety in orthodoxy. And orthodoxy actually is a word that comes from the Greek. It means, well, it says orthodoxos, and it literally just means correct opinion. <laughs> um, and by, by, by theological orthodoxy, we're talking about how certain interpretations of Scripture were held to by the early church. They were applied and they were lived out by the early church. And the, the truth of those things and the integrity of those things have been defended all the way through. And so if, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I've got a brand new revelation that no one's seen before or, you know, about who Jesus really was or, uh, you know, something that the Bible means something else. And if someone comes up to you about that, run for the hills, all right? <laughs> uh, we don't need Bible 2.0. There is no new revelation in the sense that everything that is already in the Word or the revelation that's there is all we need. Uh, There is only us newly learning and discovering what has already been in there for generations, right? And, uh, but some people, you know, can be seduced or or deceived away. And those that are young in the faith can be particularly susceptible to it. That's why in Ephesians 4.14, it describes winds of doctrine that causes the young in the faith to be tossed to and fro to waver and carried about to all sorts of conclusions. And you know, that's a big part of why church is community, yeah? That's why we have community together. It's why we have accountability together. This Christian, work, Christian journey is not a solo journey. And as we grow together, just like Ephesians 4 says, it says we may grow up into all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, not just me on my own at home, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Just like Pastor Corey talking about the village raises the child, right? Every part does its share, causes growth for the body, for the edifying of itself in love. And you would have heard me say before, in fact, I think I might have said this last time I was here, that the biggest threat to the gospel isn't secularism. It's not even other religions. It's not even this whole wokeism thing. I mean, those things are obvious. They're, they're blatantly in opposition to the gospel, right? I think the biggest threat to the gospel is a false gospel. A false gospel. Galatians 1, 6-9 says, I marvel, this is Paul talking to the Galatians, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Wow. In verse 9, as if that wasn't kind of blatant enough, he said it again. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you any other gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. Wow, that's a strong statement. Very serious statement to make, would you agree? And I think it, you know, it shows us the importance of the integrity of the gospel message. But it also shows us that it can be distorted at times, and we know it can. In fact, we even saw that in Genesis 3, right? The enemy tries to hijack the word. And the heresies that the early church had to deal with were heresies that arose because there were certain things in the immediate surrounding culture that some people were trying to mix in to their Christianity. They were trying to mix it in and keep it in with their Christian living. It's, they didn't want to give that thing up. They didn't want to surrender it to Christ. And so as a means of keeping it, but making it more acceptable, they tried to weave it into the doctrines of Christianity. And the early church was at times susceptible to this because the New Testament hadn't been written. They were the New Testament. <laughs> Imagine that. And they didn't have the generations of established orthodoxy that we have. And most had come out of either a Jewish faith or out of pagan religion. And so there was a lot going on as they were trying to understand and, and grasp, I guess, uh, how to live out this newfound truth. And I mean, the book of Hebrews, for example, is in large part dealing with converted Jews, trying to manage and, and, and journey them through how they were struggling to let, let go of certain aspects of the Judaism they'd come from working out kind of where their Judaism stopped and where their Christianity started, because we know that Christ didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so, you know, they were just working all this through. And, and, and as they were progressively realizing they were free from the Levitical law, but bound to the law of love as bondservants in Christ. And so, you know, this is why the Apostle Paul, he exhorted the early church to hold fast to the Apostles' doctrine. 2 Timothy 1.3 says, Keep all the things I taught you. These were given to you in the faith and of love of Jesus Christ. Keep safe that which he has trusted to you by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Titus 1.9, I like how he says it here. He says, We must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so here now, in 2022, we find ourselves entrusted with this word in a modern world, in a, in a world connected via the internet. <laughs> you knew the internet had to come up at some point, right? <laughs> and you know what? I thank God for the advancement of technology. I really do, because it, it has meant the gospel has been able to go into corners of the earth that it couldn't get to before, uh, that the gospel... Um, the resources are more widely accessible than they ever were before at a click of a button. But, of course, with all that comes the advent of platforms like Instagram. And you see TikTok theologians uh, sharing their thoughts on all sorts of things. And not just within the Christian sphere, of course. I mean, but if ever there was a, an explosion 
of platforms from which various ideologies could be shared, that is now, yeah? Right into the homes of people, into their very hands. And I'm all for those platforms being used to advance the gospel. But when you've got people teaching, teaching the Bible, when they've only been saved for five minutes, <laughs> or when they're half Christian, half New Age, and they just want Jesus alongside all their other practices... Now, I'm all for people getting on there. I mean, I'm all for young Christians getting on there and telling the world what Jesus has done for them, power to them. But I'm talking in the context of teaching. Teaching. Because these people are called influencers for good reason. And that's why I believe we need teachers in the body. We need every one of the five-fold ministry, of course. But I believe we're lacking in teachers amidst all this noise. And uh, so... Just like the heresies of old that arose through the elements of surrounding culture trying to integrate itself into the doctrines of Christianity as people are trying to have their cake and eat it too, right? So we face today a dynamic in which the integration is trying to happen through more doors and more platforms than ever. Pastor Corey mentioned last week, and I've seen it too, where a preacher had recently used Jesus' words to Lazarus to come out and use that as a justification for the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. It's this kind of thing. It's an extreme example, but it's this kind of thing that you can see. And it takes discernment to notice the error because it's subtle at, at times. But you know what? Discernment isn't just the ability to tell right from wrong, it's also the ability to tell right from almost right. Remember what Paul said about the false gospel? Turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. So not another gospel, like a completely different message, because that's too easy to recognize. But it's a perversion of the message we have, something close but not quite. And from my observations of watching TikTok theologians and the like, the subtle but oh so significant error in today's context that I would call a false gospel is a gospel that is self-centered. A gospel that is self-centered, where the emphasis is more on us than it is on Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, we feature, <laughs> but the central figure of the Scriptures is not us, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It always has been, and it always will be. But there's a self-centered gospel that is permeating in places, a Jesus that exists to help meet my needs. A God who exists to fulfill my desires. Now here's the thing. He is the only one who can meet your needs. He is the only one who can fulfill your desires. But my fulfillment is not the point. My fulfillment is not the point. His glory is. 
The true gospel and the process of discipleship is not a call to self-fulfillment. It is a call to self-denial. It's all through the New Testament. Last time I was here, I preached on the anatomy of temptation. And you might recall how I said the enemy disguises submission to himself under the guise of personal autonomy. What do I mean by that? He never asks us to become his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want you to make me your Lord. He just got her to serve herself. See, the shift in commitment isn't from Christ to evil, it's from Christ to self. And instead of his will be done, it's my will be done. And that is the essence of sin. And how did the enemy do it? He didn't come up with a new word. He just twisted the one that was there. He perverted it. In fact, in the very original sin, Lucifer's sin, detailed for us in Isaiah 14, you can read it on the screen. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mounted congregation on the farther sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What do you notice about that passage? I will, I will. I will, I will. The essence of sin. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And of all the perils he could mention, he mentions this first, for men will be lovers of themselves. And in today's culture that is absolutely steeped in self-obsession, am I right? (laughs) I mean, it's all about self. It's all about self-expression, self-fulfillment, self-help, self-identity, just self, 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 self. It's no wonder mental health is at an all-time high. Yeah, and I'm sensitive to the fact there's multifaceted reasons for that, but gosh, it might help if we would take our eyes off ourselves for five minutes. Come on now. (laughs) Fix our eyes on Jesus I mean, the only fruit of the Spirit that I see that has anything to do with self is (laughs) self-control. No wonder the Scriptures tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to set our minds on things above. It is the complete antithesis of self. This is the gospel. Jesus came to set us free from that. But anyway, in this, in this kind of self-obsessed culture that's around us, we must guard that the self-focus isn't creeping in to the way we preach and share and think of the gospel. I mean, look how easily the prosperity gospel has taken off in Western churches. And by that, I mean it's more extreme proponents. There's obviously truth in it. I do believe God wants us to prosper. But there are some extreme proponents of that. You know, all about... Living your best life now. I don't know if, yeah, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> living your best life now. I've heard it said that if you really want to live your best life now, you will. 
Did you catch that? If you're really all about living your best life now, it will be. Come on. <laughs> We're living for eternity. And the prosperity gospel at its gross extreme is offering us everything the devil offered Jesus in the desert. And Satan used the word to do it. It's just Babylonian culture dressed up as Christian theology. Now, I don't have a problem with prosperity. I don't believe God does either because there's truth in it. I mean, there's plenty of verses we could read. Beloved, I pray you may prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. So there's no problem with the people of God prospering, especially in the ways of righteousness. But it's just that me having lots of nice material stuff isn't the point of the Great Commission. That's all I'm saying here. But the way some people preach it, you'd think it was. Prosperity is part of it, but it's not the point of it. By the way, material prosperity can be a powerful way to further God's kingdom. It absolutely can. But prosperity is the byproduct not the purpose. And it can be the byproduct if it serves your God-given call. But prosperity itself is not the pursuit. The pursuit is of Jesus, the person of Jesus and His glory. But when prosperity becomes the emphasis through which we preach the gospel, then it becomes a self-centered gospel. And it becomes all about me and me using the vehicle of the kingdom to get what I want. And this is where deception can creep in because when we get too used to that and when we conflate the gospel as being equal with me getting all the things I want, then I pray to God that anyone who's in that dangerous position would wake up and realize that after all this time, those of us maybe that were thinking we were pursuing Jesus, we were actually just pursuing our own fleshly desires, but dressed up in Christian wrapping. We were pursuing the byproducts of the faith and not Jesus himself. Church, I mean this in all love, but if we are not consumed with the glory and the honor and the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence of Christ, if we're not consumed with loving Him, serving Him, obeying Him, submitting to Him, exalting Him, proclaiming Him, worshiping Him, confessing Him, then we're only here for the byproducts of that which is attached to Him. Worship Christ for Christ's sake. He is worthy. He is worthy. If nothing else came with him, if he did nothing else but what he's already done, he's still worthy. And he's more worthy than we could ever serve him for, yeah? Come on. He's still worthy. Worship Christ for Christ's sake. He is worthy. I remember... I might have shared this story before, but I remember when I was in my teens at high school and there was a friend of mine who was the kind of person that just everything seemed to go wrong all the time, uh, just calamity after calamity after calamity. And I remember sharing with him 
to say, come to church, give your life to Jesus, and these things will all get fixed. Your life will be better, and all of this will go away. And I believe that. I still believe that, because I believe when we submit to Christ, he works in and through us, and we overcome. But he came to church, went forward, wanted to get the benefits of the kingdom, so I said the prayer, but nothing changed. So we were like still working through things for weeks and months after that. I said, Let, why don't we go down the front again and give your life to Christ again and let's see what changes. And so we went down the front, said the prayer. Weeks went by, months went by, still nothing changes. And eventually he goes, you know what? You said this would fix everything. And it hasn't. And he left the faith. And I realized that I wasn't sharing a gospel of surrender, of repentance, of total abandonment to Christ. I was selling a gospel of benefits. Just join the club and everything gets fixed for you. Your life is better. I wasn't preaching Jesus. I was preaching the benefits of the kingdom. Now, there are benefits in the kingdom, as I said. When we surrender to Christ, when we give our lives over to Him, when we have a transformative salvation experience and we surrender and abandon ourselves, absolutely the kingdom is at work. And Christ in and through us helps us overcome. But there's a transformative encounter that happens first. It's about understanding our wretchedness and sin and our need for Christ and coming to Him in a state of repentance and abandonment. Come hell or high water, I just need you, Jesus. Don't worry about everything else. I just, I'm so aware now of my desperate need for you, Jesus, to rescue me. That's that moment of faith when things change and the benefits of the kingdom follow, but the pursuit is of Christ. Am I making sense? I hope so. 2 Timothy 3 as we read before about perilous times, men should be lovers themselves, that it lists a whole lot of things. And it finishes by saying that people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's a really interesting statement. I'm gonna come back to that in a moment. But you know, I've had to deal with this in my own heart. This is what God's been dealing with me on. Just as an example, because it's often easy to hide behind the spiritual virtue of stewardship as a front for disguising our fleshly desires for wealth and the pursuit of material gain. Because nothing hides a fleshly desire more effectively than when it's masquerading as a biblical virtue. God is dealing with me on this. This is where this is kind of coming from. I asked him to search my heart, and he did. <laughs> he brought up a few things. <laughs> and uh, I realized that while I had well intended, my heart had gone astray a little bit in this area where I was pursuing something that was actually a fleshly pursuit, but I was calling it stewardship so that my conscience was absolved in the pursuit of it. Am I, am I making sense? I'm not downing on stewardship, we must pursue the principles of stewardship. 
But the question's why? The question's where's the heart? This is a call to heart motive. It's a call to heart motive. Now, I, I haven't arrived on that yet. I'm still working through that yet. Um, I think that's okay to say. I know I'm supposed to be like an example and stuff. <laughs> but even Paul said, I don't preach as one who's yet attained. So, I mean, you know, we're in good company here. <laughs> we're, still, we're still in the process, right? I don't know if we'll figure it out yet. But the Lord is convicting me and I'm responding. So that's, that's good. We're getting there. But it's a call to the motive of the heart. We have to switch from self-consciousness to self-awareness. You know, when God brought it up, I could have been condemned, but I wasn't because he doesn't condemn. And I've had to learn not to condemn myself. But I was convicted to the point of action. And I think it's really important that when the Lord shows things to us that we neither let the enemy or ourselves condemn ourselves because he doesn't, the Lord, he doesn't condemn us. We don't stand condemned, but he's bringing it up out of his mercy that we might deal with it and move closer to him. The only reason he's bringing it up is not to hit across the face for it. It's because he's like, I want to get closer to you. This thing's there in the way. Let's, let's, move, let's get this done and we get closer to you. That's, that's where he's coming from. He's such a loving, gentle, gracious God. And so it's a call to the motive of the heart. And when it comes to eternity... Those who are in Christ won't be judged according to their sins because Christ has blotted them out. But as you know, our works will be judged. And some will prove to be gold and silver and precious stones. Some will be cheap material burned away. And I'm of the conviction personally that good things done for selfish reasons are works that will probably be burned up. That's just me, but... Because as a father myself, right, I want my kids to prosper, but I don't want them to spoil. And it's not so much about material things, it's about what those material things do to your heart and character. And how much that comes into your view of the gospel and your view of who God is. Because my other concern with this kind of self-centered and, and extreme prosperity teaching is that, uh, you know, it's been preached in parts of the Western world, I think we've here done it balanced it well but you know you can certainly see it online the internet's such a gateway um parts of the western world that it's really taken hold of in is because so far it seems to have worked because generally speaking we've been living in the most peaceful prosperous time in history and that could act as confirmation bias that okay we're, we're this is the right thing to pursue but if that's kind of the foundation of the gospel we believe, then how's that going to hold us up when times turn or when things get tough or when things don't go the way we think or when suddenly we're not in a time of prosperity or peace anymore? How does our faith hold up in the storm season through suffering and trial? How, how, how well equipped does this gospel equip us for suffering and trial? You know, Jesus promised, he promised we'd have trouble in this world. And most of you are aware of the suffering the early church went through and many saints since. And hey, I hope that we continue to live in a time of peace and prosperity. Don't get me wrong. I pray for that. But our faith has to be able to endure even when it isn't. See, when Paul wanted to encourage Christians, he didn't say that their breakthrough was around the corner. 
He helped them make sense of their suffering in light of the coming Christ. You know, the resurrection and the transformation of all things, that remains our hope. Not the temporal situations we might find ourselves in. This is our victory. Not victory being the absence of all hardship, but the victory over sin and death. That is our joy, even in the midst of the storm. Is this, is this making sense? Is this all right? I just, it's just a niche thing, I guess. But, and it's really important that I don't want anyone going away tonight with the thought that you can't boldly approach the throne of grace and make requests because you absolutely can. The Bible invites you. The Father invites you to this. The invitation is open and it's God's good pleasure to give good gifts to his children, especially when those things and the requests that we're asking for are righteous things to ask for, healing, deliverance, children, peace, joy, all these things. These were things Christ bought on the cross. You best believe he's happy to give them to you. <laughs> yeah, that's a real Pastor Joeism right there. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, best believe. Oh, it's catchy. But you know, there are times when we might believe for other things to go a certain way, maybe a particular job. Maybe a, uh, a sale of something or a purchase of something. Maybe it's a relationship or whatever it might be. And, and herein is the subtle difference in the positioning of our faith, which I believe is so important. Because have you ever been in a place, and I know I have, I'll put two hands up for this, where you've ever been disillusioned with God when things didn't go the way you wanted. When you had a picture in mind of how this was all going to work out and it didn't, and you'd been praying for that particular picture to fulfill, and it didn't, and then you grow disillusioned with God. I have been there more than once. And while that's understandable in our humanity, I believe where that comes from is an equating of God's favor or blessing or approval based on whether our prayers are answered the way we want them answered or not. Because here's the thing, too often, I believe, our faith is anchored in a certain outcome and not anchored in the person of Christ. Let me say that again. Too often our faith is anchored in a certain outcome and not anchored in the person of Christ. What am I trying to say there? We absolutely believe for certain outcomes. We believe for outcomes, but our faith is anchored in the person of Jesus. And when it's anchored in the person of Jesus, then regardless of how that situation might play out, our faith will not be shaken because it was never anchored in the circumstance. It was never anchored in the outcome. It was anchored in the person of Jesus. And so, yes, believe for the specifics of certain outcomes. Don't get me wrong. But let's make sure our faith isn't anchored in them. Otherwise, our faith is shaken when things don't go our way. Is this making sense? You know what? Our faith won't be shaken because we're not connecting his goodness to how well things are going for us. We're not connecting his character or his favor with how things are going for us. Let me tell you, he is good anyway. He loves you anyway. You are blessed anyway. He is just anyway. You are highly favored of God anyway. 
So give me Christ, whether I'm sick or well. Give me Christ, whether I'm rich or poor. Give me Christ, whether I'm alive or dead. <laughs> give me Christ. Give me Christ. Give me Christ for my sins. Give me Christ for my God. Give me Christ for my King. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Christ is in the center, not us. It's His will be done, not our will be done. And just to finish off, I said I'd come back to that interesting line in 2 Timothy 3, 5, where it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. I believe we have this form of godliness when we're preaching this gospel, a form of godliness when we're preaching this gospel, but it denies its power when we're in the center of it. It has a form of godliness because we think we're preaching the gospel. <laughs> but it denies its power when we're in the center. The gospel is the power of Christ to salvation for all who would believe. Jesus is at the center of the gospel. We are recipients of that. We are beneficiaries of that, no doubt. We are the apple of his eye. But he is the center. Christ is the center of the scriptures. He's the center of the gospel. I tell you, you know, we're talking this morning about authority and the, and the stepping out in faith. That step requires the abandonment of self. The abandonment of what are people going to think. The abandonment of what, is, what if this is uncomfortable. The steps of faith require that leap because I'm placing my trust in Christ as the center of my faith and not myself. And there's a freedom, and there's an authority, and there's a peace, and there's a joy that comes when we abandon ourselves and launch ourselves into the fullness of who Jesus is. When it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, we pray for Christ to increase, which is awesome, we should, but the Bible says for Christ to increase, we must decrease. I must decrease so that he might increase. Eyes fixed on him, mind fixed on things above. He is the one who meets our needs. But this is something you discover as you go, as you abandon yourself to him. It shouldn't be conditional upon pursuing him. As in, I'll pursue you if you know, pursue him. Abandon yourself to Him. Trust Him. And as you abandon, you will discover that He is the fulfiller of all your needs. That He is the one that meets those places that no one else ever could. That He is the one who is all that you need. But you discover that as you abandon yourself. The more we die to self, the more His glory is revealed in us. When we live like that, then no matter what happens, we can be like the apostles who 
after being flogged. They went, they were flogged. I don't know if you can picture how horrific that actually is. We read over that and just kind of, you know, oh yeah, but think about the experience of what that would have been like. And they went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake. What a perspective. I think if I was flogged today, no matter what the reason, I'd be pretty annoyed about it, to say the least. And yet they they counted it all joy. Romans 5. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. You know, when your faith is anchored in Christ and you've abandoned self, you can glory in tribulation, especially when it's for the gospel's sake. Let me close with Romans 8, 18. And this is it right here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What an eternal perspective. What an abandonment of now and abandonment of self. Incredible. So tonight, I just thought it'd be a great idea if we all went through an exercise of asking the Lord to search our heart. It might be uncomfortable. It might reveal some disconcerting truths. But again, He's only bringing them up upon your invitation in order that He will get closer to you and you to Him. That the walk of intimacy wouldn't be hindered by particular things. And so perhaps we could all stand and we're going to sing a worship song. And as we do, whether you want to just have a time of reflection in your own seat, whether you want to come forward and we're going to agree together in prayer, but let's allow the Lord to search our hearts, to search our motives And to say, Lord, flush out of me the things of the flesh. Flush out of me self. Help me to die. (laughs) Die to self that your glory might be revealed in me. You know, the enemy's already been defeated. And there's no doubt in my mind that there are times where there's an enemy stronghold in place. And we can pray and believe for that. And if that's you tonight, come forward. We'll pray and believe for breakthrough because part of the gospel is deliverance. When Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the gospel, he did so equipping them specifically to deal with deliverance. So if that's you tonight, this is a place of freedom because Jesus is here. But sometimes it's not the enemy. Sometimes it's our stubbornness to let go of self. And so that's what I would ask you tonight, for those that are willing, to take that time to reflect and examine and allow the the Lord and the Holy Spirit to shine light upon some dark places and then begin to work with the Holy Spirit, maybe a, a point of repentance, maybe a confession to the Lord and begin to work through the restoring because he's, he's a beautiful restorer. There's the discomfort of it being revealed, but then there's this beautiful restoration that he brings to it when we submit it to him. So let's take some time to do that tonight and allow Holy Spirit you to do your work.
Holy Spirit, reign tonight. Come and do your work, Holy Spirit. We invite you into our hearts. Search us, O Lord, that we might live holy lives before you, an abandonment of self, an abandonment of all the things that hold us back. Help us to live fully and completely for you, to worship you for your sake, because you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And so, Lord, we lift our eyes to heaven. We fix our eyes upon Jesus. You're the author. So continue to write, Lord, as we re you reveal these things. You're the author. Continue to write. You're the finisher. Continue in us, Lord. Your word says that you are faithful to complete that which you began. And so tonight, Lord, we submit ourselves to you in the work that you've began in us. Lord, do the work that only you can. We worship you, Lord. 